Amen. Today we're continuing in our series, The Seven Deadly Sins. And John, Thud, today we're looking at another one of those sins that that probably sneaks up on more men than what they would think. It's a it's a sin that we don't preach about in the church very often, even though in the American culture we probably should. We're talking today about the sin of gluttony. Now, I, I want to just start with this. If you're not listeners, if you're not overweight, if you're not given to drunkenness, you, you might think that this is something that other guys deal with. But keep listening, because today we're going to see that the sin of gluttony isn't just about the amount or type of food that we eat, but it's really all about our attitude toward food and drink. I remember when we did this sermon series, Brian, at our church, and I kept looking ahead to the next week at these seven deadly sins, and I thought, man, when am I going to finally hit an easy one that I don't struggle with? And I thought for sure it was going to be gluttony or sloth, which we haven't got to sloth yet. But as I dug into God's word, I realized, oh man, like this is an area in my life where I struggle. I, I, I have areas that are gluttonous. In the dictionary, gluttony is defined as an unhealthy obsession with food or drink. So I would imagine most of our listeners would probably say, that's not me. I'm, I'm good. I can check this one off. But as believers, I want to challenge us to think about it in a slightly different manner. What if we defined it this way, that gluttony is simply the undisciplined use of food or drink or not being led by the Holy Spirit when it comes to my relationship with food and drink? Because when I look at it that way, now all of a sudden, I recognize there are areas in my life where, where I'm dealing with gluttony. So for example, if, if you spend a significant amount of money eating out every month, but you're not generous to others or to God's kingdom, would that be gluttony? Or if you have to have two to three cups of coffee in the morning just to get going and to avoid a caffeine headache, is that gluttony? I know some of you, if, if you were to attend our church, you're like, wait a minute, Pastor John, you just crossed a line. Did you just say something negative about coffee? No, it's almost heresy. Uh, and maybe it's not even the amount of food, but the types of food your doctor has told you to limit because you're battling high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and you just can't seem to control those urges. You know, all of those, I would submit, are examples that probably are gluttonous, and at the very least, they could be. And then I also want to say that this is one of those areas where what might be gluttonous for me might not be for you and vice versa. So I think this is an area where we need to be very sensitive to the Spirit's leading. And so I hope you guys won't check out today. Man, if you're listening today, and you think gluttony is an issue that, that you've already overcome, I just hope that you'll ask the Spirit to speak to you and help you identify if there are areas in your life where this might be an issue. Well, guys, uh, hey, thanks for letting me be here on this one again. Uh, I'll be honest with you. This one was one of the uh, ones I, I say I'm not versed on, but uh, really have, was not aware of. And I'll be honest with you, it's a, it's a blind spot. You know, I see it in the culture. I can uh, see it all around us, but it's something that's that's really never been in the forefront of my mind. I don't struggle with alcohol. I have family that does, and that's probably why I don't struggle with it. Um, I, I can see it in the Southern church everywhere around here. I tell you, growing up, it was all about going to the potluck dinners, um, and the potluck dinners were not with something you'd say was homemade. It was mostly Kentucky fried chicken, um, bought uh, macaroni and cheese, and all the goodness and Southern comfort food you want. And um, I, I really felt, uh, I grew up in a different denomination, but I always looked at the Baptists going, man, they, they sure love the worship with their food. And 
then I'll start looking at our church doing the same thing. And the Southern culture especially is all about getting together and having these huge feasts, but then we don't stop. And uh, when I was driving out of the house today to come here, I just counted within a half mile of the house I'm living in now, I have six fast food restaurants and almost as many churches. So it's almost a one-to-one for fast food to churches out here, but it's a, it's a very much a cultural thing. But I'll say this, I cannot recall a time that gluttony has ever been preached in a church other than pursue God and Alpine church addressing this. These are the first times I've actually heard it actually addressed as a sin. And we can see it. We can see the overindulgence the, throughout our community. I can see it in my life. The caffeine, coffee uh, statement hurts, honestly, um, because I get up every morning and have to have my, ca- my caffeine. And we'll, I, I will talk more about fasting in a little while. And that's, that's difficult to fast from caffeine for me. So did I think this is a huge blind spot in my life? Absolutely. And this is one I don't think we should brush over. Yeah, the word overindulgence is a good one, Thud. I, you know, I've, I can't remember what movie it was. It might have been like Braveheart or one of those kinds of movies where they showed a picture. There was like a scene with one of the kings, and he just was I, – I remember being bothered by the scene. Maybe you guys know what I'm talking about here. But but he's sitting there at the at this table – and he's feasting on, feasting on, I don't know, whatever, all this food. And it was, it was disgusting. It, and I think they were intending to, to show us what overindulgence looked like. Here this king was compared to the peasants that the movie was about. And I think that might have been the first time I really sort of saw this issue from a different point of view. I mean, we have to remember 2,000 years ago, Jesus is talking about gluttony and things like this. We'll look at these verses today. But he's talking about it in a culture where there this was not normal. This was not normal for the average person. The average person would have eaten very little compared to what we eat, very little variety compared to what we eat. And so it's almost a little bit surprising that this is in there, that the sin of gluttony is in there, because it seems like this really the sin of a king and then you think about our lives, we live like kings. We, we In America today, this is one that we really probably should pay attention to because I'd hate for us to get to stand before Jesus someday and he'd just be like, you morons, did you not even think about this? Why did you not even pay any attention to this? This is one of the main ones. You know, overindulgence is just what our culture is all about, whether it be food or drink or, or entertainment or whatever. I think we are a very uh, indulgent society. And so there's something for everyone to listen to here. And then so the other thing you mentioned is culture. I, I, think, I, I think everyone should just pause the podcast and pray, God, give me eyes to see what culture I'm a part of. Because the, here's the problem with culture is the, the longer you're in it, the less you're aware of it. And so you mentioned Southern culture, but even maybe family cultures. There might be some family cultures that, that eat a certain way because that's how your mom and dad taught you. And that's how their mom and dad taught them. And so maybe it's just, you're just not even aware of the culture that you're part of and how overindulgence is a part of that culture that you've, you've been raised in. Yeah, that's a great point. I, and this is two points to this is I had, uh, in my family, I had one half, one set of grandparents that were just amazing 
uh, with their walk and their witness. The other half, and probably why I don't drink, to be honest with you, the alcohol started at 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm. You know, just a drink. And so the two family cultures that I was blessed with seeing, the differences is incredible. I'm so blessed with that. But Brian, to your point, I have been blessed with deploying to numerous third world countries. I have been blessed with seeing what, how they live their lives. Their day revolves a lot of times around how do I gather or get food? Or I've watched women fight over shoes for their children. And here in America, we, we have this culture of, I can, I probably, in my office right now, I'm looking at four p- pairs of shoes. I look at the food. We have DoorDash. I, I, can, I don't have to leave the house to get my groceries anymore. Uh, and that's, for the most of us that are listening to this podcast, we're probably listening to our car, on our, on our, on our pocket computer, our quote-unquote cell phone that we have. We think take so much for granted in America, and it's so easy to become complacent. And I'll be honest with you, this is why it's probably a blind spot for me. But I'll tell you, it's the little things in life. Hot water, when you don't have hot water, that becomes a huge blessing. And I think this is a big, we need to look at it, like what you said, come with fresh eyes. If, look at the tiny blessings we have here today that we take for granted. And probably our number one in America is the abundance of food. Yeah, so let's let now if we have anyone listening still, right? Because some people are probably just turn this off because they're like this is a real downer. I don't want to hear this. I don't need to hear this. So let's just balance this by starting with this truth because we don't want to overstate this either, but I want well, let's start with this first thought is that food isn't bad. Enjoying food isn't bad. God gave us food for our enjoyment. So let's start there, but we also need to recognize that he gave us boundaries. So, so let's bring some scripture in, John, uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 7. It says, go ahead, eat your food with joy, drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Maybe this is a good place to start before, before we get a bunch of asceticism out there and everyone becomes a monk and fasts for the rest of their life. Ecclesiastes 9, 7, John, help us bring some balance to this conversation before we beat people up again with a, with drumsticks. Yeah. Amy, yeah. With chicken drumsticks, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, what I love about Ecclesiastes nine, seven is that God doesn't just permit this. It says God approves of this. Like there's something that brings God joy in a sense when we take joy in his provision. So as we eat our food with joy, particularly if, if we are thankful in that, if we recognize that food came from the Lord, you know, everything, every good gift comes from above. And, and so really a lot of what we're going to talk about in our conversation today is the attitude we have towards food. Do we have a hard attitude as we enjoy food that says, man, God is so good. You know, God has given me this food. God has given me this drink. Do we have a happy heart with it? Uh, another passage in the Old Testament is in Proverbs. It says, eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. It's interesting to me that in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was actually commanded to celebrate seven feasts per year. Now, it definitely wasn't just all about the food. There was a lot of symbolism involved in those feasts, but 
they were feasts. They were about coming together and eating and remembering and and thanking God for his provision, whether it was the Passover feast, right? You know, thanking God for this amazing deliverance out of Egypt. And food was involved in each every one of those. So I don't think we have to feel guilty when we enjoy a good meal. We should come to it with thanksgiving and with joy. Yeah, and even Jesus, his the, the only miracle, I think this is true, John, the only miracle in all four Gospels, aside from the miracle of the resurrection, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels is the miracle of the feeding of the multitude. And, and so Matthew 14, 20, it says they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So even that is a good clue to us that Jesus isn't against food and eating to their fill, right? They all ate as much as they wanted. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to portion this out to you. You can only have half a fish and a, and one piece of bread. They ate as much as they wanted. And so some might say, wait, that sounds like gluttony. No, that wasn't, that wasn't gluttony in that context. So even that is just instructive for us as we get into this topic. No, I, I think you're right. I think this is a classic example of the enemy twisting God's blessing. You know, we had a wedding for our, in our family this last weekend, and what an amazing opportunity to get together and celebrate, and we celebrate over a meal. And we have family gatherings every year, and it's wonderful. It's great. We celebrate over a meal, and it is all goodness. And, and, and you talked about, you know, the feeding of the multitude, but also Jesus' first miracle is at a wedding celebration in which he is providing an abundance of wine. There, you know, this, you talk about the jars of wine that he turned water into wine to celebrate and to enjoy that. So it, it is greatness. Then the pleasures that God has given us is awesome and amazing. And uh, we should not forgive that these are blessings from God as well. One other thing that jumps out to me on the miracle of feeding the 5,000 is that they picked up the leftovers. So they were good stewards of the resources. I do think wastefulness can be a sign of gluttony in our lives. So think about the amount of food you throw out in your household on an average week. I don't know if you guys are like me. I'll eat leftovers. My, my rule is I'll eat them twice. <laughs> so if my wife makes a meal on Monday, I'll eat leftovers Tuesday and, and Wednesday for lunch. I'll, I'll have another helping of whatever it was we made, but then I'm done. I am not eating any more of that. It gets thrown out. And so that's probably a sign that we're making too much food. If that happens where we're throwing food away, that's probably an indication of some gluttony. Or it's an indication that's, that one of your sons wasn't there for dinner the first night, right? Because I, I know in our house, our, our son will eat whatever whatever we make, he'll eat it. <laughs> so it could be that. You know, it's interesting that even Jesus was accused of gluttony, right? The religious leaders, the Pharisees called him a glutton. And maybe it's because of things like this, the, the miracle of the feeding the 5,000 or hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. So, it, but at the very least, it shows us that Jesus enjoyed food, that Jesus that Jesus enjoyed food with his disciples, that he ate food with gladness, like what we're seeing here. So he wasn't an ascetic. He wasn't a monk. And, and that's not what we're called to either. But he had the proper view of it, which is what we're trying to explore today. It's what we're trying to get at. And part of the, part of the proper view is that we should have boundaries, right? When it comes to food, Proverbs 23, 21, do not carouse with drunkards, 
or feast with gluttons, for they are all they're on their way to poverty. And so I would I bet you the Pharisees quoted Proverbs 23, 21 at Jesus, which just means that they misunderstood the passage. So maybe John, help us to understand what the passage does mean. Well, I think there's a there's a very practical application, but I think there's also a spiritual application. Not not that spiritual applications aren't practical, but I think there's a a clear warning that look, if you spend all your money on drink and and food, it can lead to poverty. And, and we know how obesity and high blood pressure and diabetes can lead to all the healthcare costs that go along with that. You know, we know someone who, for example, gets caught driving under the influence is going to have court costs and time out of work. And so the the writer of this proverb is warning you, like, if you go down this path, you're, you're potentially going to be on your way to poverty. But I think there's a spiritual issue that's even deeper than that, because so much of us, we even use the term comfort food. We're going to get into this a little bit later in the podcast that that means something. What do you mean comfort food? There's an emotion. There is a, a sense of satisfaction I'm looking for from food that I will never get from food, that I, I'll only get that through a relationship with my creator. And I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to go back to the very beginning. Did you ever think about the very first boundary God gave mankind involved food? <laughs> we, we talk about the fact that we should enjoy it, but but there are boundaries. The first boundary God ever gave us was about Adam and Eve not eating from the tree in the garden, uh, for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. Now, again, God's primary purpose in that wasn't to keep them from being gluttonous. It was to give them an opportunity to to act out in obedience and trust in him, that they could trust that his boundaries were for their good. And, and so again, men listening today, God's boundaries in this area of food and drink, I want you to know that they're for your good. Yeah. And, and this is, this hits home, uh, real close to home, at least anyway, for the fighter pilot community or not just fighter pilots, but men. So when I see the, uh, when I read about drunkenness leading to poverty, it's funny. It's funny now. Um, but when young men men get together a lot of times they want to talk about drinking they want to get they want to get drunk together it's very very common in fraternities any type of group gathering for men and i'll never forget my first time i went to las vegas or nellis air force base it's a long uh, deploy training exercise for several weeks and my wife was so excited about the extra pay we were going to get when i got home well i came home i lost money and here's why I lost money. I lost money because fighter pilots tend to have these stupid drinking games. I don't drink. So, however, I still had to partake, such as um, when you're air refueling, if you can't complete the refueling in a timely manner, then you have to buy a round for every person that's up there on the flight. So that's, you know, four rounds of drinks usually. Or... I used the wrong word, and that means it's a round at the bar, things like that. And so not my drinking, but their drinking and me partaking in their exercising of their liberties caused me to be in poverty and a very upset wife. Let me just tell you that. But I, think, but I go back to 
a poverty is a side effect, but also the boundaries getting serious. Now, my role became as the one that wasn't drinking was I called myself the eye in the sky. It was to keep my friends and my brothers out of trouble because as soon as they got drunk, things were going bad. And on a serious note as well, as a commander, if I start seeing sexual harassment, sexual assaults, almost 100% of the time, it has to do with alcohol. So God has blessed us with these gifts, but he's also given us boundaries for our own protection and the protection of others. So men, when you're out there, newly married, and your guys are drinking, don't play the drinking games with them because your wife will be very upset when you get home as you have no money in your wallet. Yeah, we've been talking in this series about each one of these sins is a false pathway to something we think we think we'll get through the sin. And so with gluttony, and, and this is something I think listeners will have to really think and pray about and be honest about, hopefully create some self-awareness for our listeners. Gluttony is a false pathway to comfort. It's a false pathway to using food and drink to satisfy this deeper craving in all of us, whatever that craving is, whatever that thing is, you know, for thought, as you talk about drinking, it's really, when I think about drinking, it's, it's uh, acceptance. It's a, it's a pathway to acceptance. Like if I, if I, I mean, I, I don't know anyone, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm just sheltered, but I don't know anyone who really liked the taste of alcohol the first time they tasted it. A lot of people do that in high school because they're trying to fit in or loosen up so that they'll fit in or whatever, but they don't like the taste. But eventually, I mean, you, you're doing that because you're craving something else. You're trying to accomplish something else. In fact, a glutton really ends up using food then, much like an addict uses drugs. So we slip into gluttony for whatever reason, and again, some of our listeners might have a hard time connecting the dots here, but but other probably other listeners really understand exactly what we're talking about, that that it is a pathway to to finding comfort or to to scratching this itch that that you're not even fully aware you have. And it's so easy to slip into it in our culture. I think for several reasons. You know, Thud mentioned all of the access to food we have in America. Think of, think of the variety of food you can have sitting in your kitchen three hours from now with one phone call. You could have Italian, you could have Indian, you could have Mexican, you could have Southern company. You know, imagine if we all ate rice and beans every day. I doubt we would be as gluttonous. I doubt we would overeat, right? So that's one thing that happens. The other thing that happens, I mean, how many of you guys out there can relate to me? Maybe it's just me. If I go to like an all-you-can-eat place, like I'm going to eat until I'm almost sick because I feel like I have to. I, I'm, I don't just, I don't just give in to gluttony. I justify it, right? I'm like, well, I got to get my money's worth. I paid all this money for this food, man. I'm, I'm going to eat until I can barely walk out of here. <laughs> and then we talked briefly about comfort food. How many times have you seen the phrase, just like mom used to make? So think about think about what the advertiser is trying to do there. They're trying to get you to, to tap back into thoughts of security and laughter and warmth and having your needs met. That, that's 
for most of us, now not everybody had a great childhood, but for most of us, that's what we think of when we think of the meals that mom used to make. So you can see why that's so attractive. But again, guys, that's only met temporarily with food. And that satisfaction is fleeting and it and ultimately falls short of what we're really craving. Th those needs for security and needs for love and needs for someone who gets me can only be ultimately fulfilled through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Ouch. That, that hurts actually, John, really bad. Um, thank you for that spear right through my chest right there. Um, talking about comfort food. Um, so this, whenever I've had a rough week, uh, a lot of times I'll get away from the office and right around the corner from us is a waffle house that no one goes to. And I can get, I can be quiet there and I can get away and, if those of you are familiar with Waffle House, they have this thing called the All-Star Breakfast, and it's a lot of food. And I'll sit there and go, well, I got to eat it. So I paid for it, so I got to eat it, and I will. And so normally it's about once every couple of weeks I'll go over there. But this week it hit me twice, and I needed comfort yesterday. So I went my second time this week and ate the entire meal again. And the funny thing was uh, I'm sitting there trying to get ready for today's podcast, researching gluttony as I'm eating the all-star breakfast and I literally <laughs> laughed out loud. I giggled just like that. I, I giggled out loud at myself going, Lord, I got you. You are so right. I, it, this hurts. I'm my comfort food. I should have been, been spending time with you right now, relaxing versus coming here and trying to find, you know, to fill a void that uh, I needed, which was just a break. And I should have been resting in the Lord and I wasn't. So thanks, John, for that spear right between the chest for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure God giggled a little bit <clears throat> as he saw you read this verse, John 6, 51, as you were eating your all-star breakfast. It says, I am the living, Jesus speaking, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so the world may live, is my flesh. And so it's interesting, you you, John, we probably don't usually think of these verses as gluttony verses, but it kind of gets to the point here. Jesus called himself the bread of life. We might just read right past that because what's bread to us? It's not that big of a deal. But bread, bread to people in Jesus's day was what they ate. It was their sustenance. So he's saying, I'm the food you really need. That's what he's saying here. Yeah. And he's pointing out that if you eat that physical bread, you're going to be physically hungry again. It's never going to satisfy, right? It, it's a temporary fix. But if you eat the living bread that came down from heaven, Jesus Christ, you'll never be spiritually hungry again. And we'll still need physical food here. Obviously, that's part of how God created us. Uh, but we we don't have to use physical food to try and satisfy that spiritual hunger anymore. And I remember as, as we went through this sermon series, there were a couple of practical examples of how this might play out. So boredom, you know, research shows that many people overeat because of boredom. You just don't have anything going on. You don't find meaning or purpose in your life. And eating can be an attempt to distract you from that experience. But where is ultimate purpose found? It's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in relationship with him and, and being on mission with him. You know, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full or that you might have a rich and abundant life, depending upon the translation you're reading. And so a rich and abundant life is anything but boring. 
Another example, and this is probably what our brother Thud was dealing with a little bit with the wedding, everything going on would be stress. Chronic stress can trigger us to overeat. You know, culture has, has shown us that, society knows that. So how do we ultimately learn to deal with stress in a way that brings relief versus just temporary distraction? Well, that's that's by finding peace through Jesus, by connecting with him through his word, through prayer, you know, asking him to bear fruit in our lives. We can We can have all of those needs met through Jesus Christ. We don't have to turn to food or drink to do it. Yeah, one more verse in this section is Ephesians 5.18. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. I love just how clear that is. You know, it's kind of like it's speaking to one of our sons because they need to know the why. Well, well, Paul gives you the why. Don't be drunk with wine because it'll ruin your life. Just simple as that. But I love the antidote in Ephesians 5.18. It says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think, again, some this isn't really a message about drinking, but gluttony to me is both. It's food and drink. It's overindulging in both of those things because it's it's like scratching that itch for you. It's meeting that need for you. But, but the antidote is, no, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit does something for us from the inside out that we're trying to get wine or beer to do for us from the inside out. You know, and, and I think that's such a simple truth that a lot of Christians just miss. And so they end up indulging in alcohol, thinking that that's going to do the thing for them that they that they so desperately need. And yet the Holy spirit can do it for you instead. You know, Brian, I've heard several times throughout my life and career talking to men, seeing men talking about acceptance with alcohol, but I've also heard alcohol makes me a better person. I have heard that alcohol makes me better socially, man. God made you perfect. He did. You don't need the alcohol. He made you perfect in who you are. And so, yeah, the boundaries are important, and uh, I think that is what it is, is being confident in the Lord, too, and being relaxing in Him and, and, and keeping your focus on Him. Yeah, let's finish up really on a practical note, guys, and let, let's talk. And this is going to be, I think, surprising to our listeners after this whole thing. But remember, we started with it's, this is not a food problem. It's an attitude problem. It's, all, it's really all about your attitude toward food and drink. It's not just about what, how you're indulging or overindulging. We're digging deeper and saying it's, we're trying to get below the surface and say, what is your ultimate attitude about it? And, and, and that's really where we're going to land today. The antidote to gluttony, the solution for gluttony is twofold, two surprising things. On the one hand, it's fasting. So let's talk a little bit about fasting, but it's also, on the other hand, it's feasting. It's, it's really it's both of these things, which might be shocking to people to think it's most people think it just eat less. It's not that it's put food in the proper place in your life that it it means like having the right attitude toward food. And sometimes that means we should, we should fast and, and stop altogether. And sometimes that means we should feast and have the right attitude as we're, as we're celebrating this. So let's start with this verse, Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's interesting that that's it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, which is a food. And so let's start, John, let's start with that verse, and let's talk about fasting and feasting. Well, specifically, look at all of those fruits 
that again, I think in some ways we, we try to arrive there through food or drink if we're, if we're not careful. We, we try to achieve feelings of joy and peace and goodness, maybe not some of the others, through, through food. And we're just never going to get there. That's not the purpose. The one I want to look at specifically right now is self-control, because that's really part of what we're talking about, specifically if, if your struggle with gluttony is overeating or eating types of foods that you know are not good for your health. And maybe even your doctor has said, hey, you got to cut out some of the sugar. You got to come out some of the salt. And you're just struggling to do that. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. And what that means is when you and I don't have self-control, we leave ourselves open to attack. We're vulnerable. And that's, that, that's true in so many areas of our life. And it's true in our attitudes towards food, that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help develop this fruit of self-control in our life. And I'll say that... Um... Fasting was another thing that I didn't hear a lot about growing up until probably the last 20 years of my life. And for me, fasting has been key to self-control. And it also has been huge as teaching me that self-control. So fasting for me is a way of keeping my focus on the Lord. So when we have big decisions in our in our family or big celebrations, actually my family's just coming out of a season of fasting over my son's wedding. And the fasting has been so amazing at helping me with self-control because what how I fast, and there's different techniques how fast out there, but when I'm fasting, I take something I love a lot, something that I want a lot, and I and I fast from it. And usually I do some sort of water-only fasting. And for me, I have a history with, with water. I could talked about a long time when I'm deployed, but there's, there's times when I start drinking this water for nothing but a month and I get to where I can't stand drinking water anymore. And I just don't want that bottle of water, but I know that that's my time to go to the Lord, whatever I'm praying about. So this last time about the praying for my son's wedding, Lord, thank you. Thank you for his spouse. Thank you for his life. Lord, please show up at this wedding. Every time I am struggling with drinking that bottle of water. So fasting has been very good. And as a practical step too, I use fasting for when I, when I need guidance from the Lord. And as a fighter pilot, we teach there's, when you're ever handling emergency, we teach three steps first, and that's fly the airplane. So maintain aircraft control, analyze the situation and take the proper action. And then that we say, fly the airplane first. I don't care if it's about to explode fly the airplane, and we say, wind the clock. Take some time to pause and to breathe and to figure out what's going on. And so for me, fasting, I use that also to, when my wife and I have big decisions coming up that we know we want to honor the Lord with, that we will take 30 days to pray and fast together, wind that clock, look for time to focus on the Lord let him answer, let us be in, in communion, and then we come out of fasting. And the funny thing is, feasting, fasting and feasting, when you come out of a fast, man, what you wanted before, it tastes really, really good, and you're so, so grateful for it. And it is it's a blessing from the Lord, and that's how I think we should approach both fasting and feasting. 
Yeah, John, how would you explain, you know, probably some of our listeners have never fasted um, because it's not a real em- emphasis in the indulgent American church today. How would, number one, how would you explain fasting? And then number two, how do you do it? How do you, how have you incorporated in your life over these last few years? Fasting can have a couple of different definitions. I mean, primarily it's, it's going without food, right? But that's not the only way to fast. Uh, similar to Thud, uh, I had never really, early in my spiritual walk, fasting was never a consistent part of my walk with Jesus. Um, a couple of years ago, we did a sermon series at, at our church called Spiritual Breakthroughs, and we looked at some of the spiritual disciplines, and God really convicted me in that series that I needed to make fasting a regular thing. It couldn't just be haphazard. And so so since then, I've, I've committed to fast once every month. Now, what that fast usually looks like for me is, is a liquid-only diet for 24 to 48 hours. But there are also times when, as Thud mentioned, I will, I will give up something I love. So I'm, I'm not a coffee guy. That's why I could, could kind of, you know, throw some rocks at you guys about your caffeine fix in the morning <laughs> earlier in the podcast. I, I prefer to drink uh, Heaven's Nectar. Some of you may know it as Mountain Dew out there, but uh, <laughs> that's my guilty pleasure. And so often for Lent, I will give up. I'll give up soda, you know, completely. I just won't drink soda for, for the Lent season. And it, it's, man, it's tough. I know some of you are thinking, oh, that'd be easy. But I get into it about two weeks and I am struggling. But that's a good thing. That, that's a good thing because that, that forces me to recognize my dependency on God to get me through hard things. Because sometimes really hard things come along, guys. You know, sometimes your marriage is about to crumble. Sometimes you lose a child. Sometimes you lose a job. And if you haven't learned how to trust God in the kind of hard things, it's going to be so tough to trust him in the really hard things. So I would just challenge the men listening today, if you've never incorporated fasting into your journey, to, to consider it. Now, I'm, I don't want to be legalistic. I'm not saying it has to be monthly. I'm not saying it has to be, you know, totally give up food or whatever. Ask God about it. Pray you know, God, what would be hard for me? What would cause me to recognize my dependence on you? Is that a complete fast from all food? Uh, or is it, you know, again, as that's said, giving up something you really love maybe for a period of time. But God has been so faithful in those monthly fasts. And I've done them long enough now that I'll confess sometimes the 24 hours, it's not even really hard anymore. Uh, but sometimes it still is. So just, I just actually did this fast this past Sunday into Monday for 24 hours. And I don't know what was different about my week or maybe about my diet leading up to it, but about 12 hours into it, I was like, holy cow, I am hungry. Why am I, why am I so hungry this time? And, and it was just good for me to go back and say, okay, God, you know, I know you've called me to do this and I know you're going to get me through it. And, uh, he, he has definitely shown himself faithful each time I've done that. Yeah, I think I think both fasting and feasting, you know, we're saying it's about an attitude. And it, it really is just an attitude of dependence. It's just, it helps you to realize you are dependent on God for all things. So when you abstain from food for, for a day or two or whatever, it, it teaches you this like priceless lesson that we very rarely get in 
in the world that we live in, in America at least, that that we are choosing to die to our control over our food. We're saying, I'm going to abstain, even though I don't have to, because I've got it right at my fingertips, but I'm going to abstain. Some of our listeners have never done that before. You know, I just urge you listeners, if you've never fasted for a day, do a water fast, which just means eat and drink nothing but water. Try it for a day. Try it, for, try it for a meal. Start with a meal. Skip a meal. See how that feels. Then do it, you know, maybe a week later. Try it for a day. Try it for a couple days. Try it for a few days. I promise you, you will learn some things about dependence on God. You will learn some things about what you have taken for granted. And then, Thud, like you said, when you break your fast, man, do you do you learn your dependence on God afresh and, and just say, thank you for food. I always took this for granted. Thank you for food. And again, it teaches you, it teaches you that you are not in control because for some cultures and for, for some of the, for generations of people who have read Jesus's words, they didn't have that kind of control. They, it wasn't a, it wasn't their choice to fast. They did, they fasted because they didn't have food. We don't, for mo- most listeners, we don't have that reality so bring, invite that into your life and see what God will do through it. See what he'll teach you through fasting. See what he'll teach you about gluttony, because maybe you'll see this, you, you'll go back to this podcast and listen to this with fresh eyes and say, I had no idea that I was a glutton. Uh, you know, I, I had no, no sense that I struggled with this deadly sin. It's interesting that this is one of the seven deadly sins. Now that's not a biblical thing. It's not, you're not going to find this list of seven deadly sins anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't say these are the big seven. The, you know, the deadly sins was something that is kind of a Catholic thing. It's Catholic tradition from, from some of the Catholic fathers. And so it's a helpful list, but it's not per se a biblical list. It's not that gluttony is necessarily worse than some of the sins that that didn't make it. But I think it's interesting that gluttony made this list in in church history. And I think it's helpful for us to pay attention to it and really to think about this verse. Uh, let's finish with this verse. John will give you the last word on this. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. This to me speaks to the attitude that we should have on this topic. Whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. I remember hearing that in a sermon one time years ago as a kid, and I was like, what are you talking about? How do I eat or drink to the glory of God? And so maybe you can relate to that, and you're listening to this today. Like, just spell it out, John. You know, spell it out, Brian and Thud. What do you mean? Well, let me give you just some practical ways on what that might look like. So when we eat, we eat with thanksgiving. We eat with appreciation for God's provision, and we eat with generosity. So maybe that's looking around your your church or looking around your neighborhood at at someone who who isn't as well off as you and inviting them to join you and inv- inviting them to to partake in God's blessing over a meal. It could be something simple as not taking the biggest piece of cake or the best looking burger on the grill. Like again, putting the needs of others ahead of your own. It could be exercising self control. I mentioned my you know my love for Mountain Dew and and kind of toning that down and making sure that's not 
making sure that doesn't have control over me. You know, the Bible talks about not being a slave to anything. And then lastly, I would say, again, just I'm going to double down on this. I would encourage you to incorporate rhythms of fasting in your spiritual journey. Yeah, and encourage you finally to talk about this with your mentor, with your men's group, maybe with your spouse. Uh, fathers, talk about this with your sons. It's deadly sin number four in our list. You can find this along with all of the other deadly sins and how we talk about it through these podcasts. You can find it at pursuegod.org forward slash the number seven dash sins. And make sure to join us in a couple more weeks on the men's podcast because we're going to tackle deadly sin number five, which I think we can all relate to, especially as men. We're going to talk next time about anger. Make sure to join us then.